Um, I love William Cooper. I'm glad we sing those hymns. Uh, can you imagine a fountain filled with blood? I appreciated what Victoria said in her post about this song as we were getting ready to uh, sing it, you know, that there's some stark, gruesome images. And often we take a precious moments approach to the Bible, and we just walk through this beautiful chapel with all these beautiful, so-called beautiful, I mean, according to someone, uh, visions of cherub Bible characters. I don't often see precious moments for the book of Judges, for example. So she's, she's so right, and uh, that's what saves us, getting plunged into this saving blood. And then Heal Us Emmanuel is my favorite hymn, and I just love the way we sing it now because Kevin Twitt retuned it, and so thank you for doing that. We're talking about the book of James, this ancient book that's still relevant today, and um, it's connected to the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> there are a lot of similar themes in this because James is a lot about what we do. That's what fruit of the Spirit comes out. But remember, as we talked about, if, if you were around, that it comes out of who we are. So we're continually thinking about who we are and what we do, trying to push these together in an in integrated self. And so my question for you today is, what if you slipped on a jersey and instantly had the ability of the person whose name was on the back? What if you put on an Orioles jersey and you could play just like Cal Ripken or Boog Powell or put on a Ravens jersey and could just be, be like Lamar Jackson or Ray Lewis? That might be cool. Um, when I was a college pastor at RUF at the University of Oklahoma, I sometimes would wear an Oklahoma jersey or shirt, and, and sometimes I would play basketball nearly every day. It's, it's a pretty good job, right? It's a pretty job, and that's what you get to do. And there would be international students over, and they would think I was on the basketball team. I'm tall enough, and they didn't really know. The ability ratio is not there. But I would, may be the best basketball player they had met on the first day. You know, it, it's quickly changed after that. So I tried to dispel their idea. That's not the way it works. Wearing jerseys does not affect your ability. Wearing gear is not the same as being on the team. And so what I want you to think about today is, do you slip on the Christian jersey? We've talked about before, do you, do you have like a Christian back pocket card? Oh, look, here you go. I'm wearing the jersey, so I got the stuff on the inside. I am it. That's, again, not how it works. We, we sometimes want to know when will it work. Like, what is the holdup on the change that, that we keep on talking about? In Oklahoma, very Christian state, um, at least on paper. I don't know how much of a Christian state Maryland is. I'm sure different parts have different, maybe a much higher population, so it's probably more dispersed. And, and Oklahoma is known for poverty, incarceration, 
murder, obesity, divorce, abuse, very low reading education levels. So here you have this discrepancy of, of what we say we're about, at least in part, and what is happening in these places where we reside the most. When will Jesus work? So we're talking about what's on the inside, not bumper stickers, not Christian t-shirts, not even church attendance, but us. Does faith work? We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Integration. So we look about how our faith makes a difference. So the first point I want to make is what do you stand on affects who you are. What comes out of you. And James is very clear that we should stand on the Bible. We, we talked about this last week, but I wanted to pull it back this week. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits for his creatures. So we are born again when the word of truth comes into our lives and expresses us by pulling us into relationship with God and we become his first fruits. And then if you look in the middle of this passage, there's, there are more about this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And, and um, then he talks about the... Uh, I don't see where it is because I have a different text. Um, the, uh, the law of liberty, see at the end. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So we have word, language, word of truth, word of God, and law language. Okay, And so, so the word implants into our lives brings forth fruit for the Spirit. It, and it moves the Bible itself from being an interesting book to being an essential book. Like food and air and water. And so we are to consume it, devour it, desire it. Is that our attitude. Is that my attitude? Do we study it? Do we memorize it? Do we discuss it? Um, not only at church, but on our own? What is our posture toward this essential thing? There are other approaches besides desiring and devouring and needing. One of them, I call it, is the, the, the magic eight ball approach, right? You want to find something. God, what should I do? And you flip open the Bible. And I call that Bible dipping, you know. You just try to see what God says to help me. This is a direct thing to me. There's no intermediary even understanding of it. I'm at the center of the Bible. Another approach, which is way more common than that, is nothing. <laughs> the approach of just, that's an interesting relic from the past. It has no bearing to me. I'm too busy. It's too boring. Sports Center is on. i got to watch Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. This is where most of the world is. 
Another way to position yourself in regard to the Bible is there are some people that, that read it and study it and care about it, but they stand over the Bible. They judge what's in it and have all these theories. Now, this is often found in academia, uh, but it's also found in, in churches. So people say, well, this person wrote this and not this, and I've learned, and so you can take this out because that's not authentic, and uh, these things get reinterpreted to not apply any longer. This would be maybe uh, I care or I'm, I'm reinterpreting the Bible because I've read and watched the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> That's informing my view over here. Or eat, love, pray. Or I've, I've, I've learned that Isaiah can be chunked up in all these things or, or Paul didn't mean what he said. The Bible is a creation of, of people. Now, I want to make sure it's true that you know that, that we do learn things about the Bible over time. We have gotten some things wrong. I think that's especially true in like archaeology knowledge and understanding texts. Um, but that's not the same as saying, you know, Paul didn't write this. That, that is a totally different ball wax. Um, these are God's words for us. These are inspired and errant in the original manuscripts, which we don't have, but we can trust that God has brought these through over time, and what we have is what we, we should have. So that other view is, is dangerous, because God and the Bible will contradict you. I've been listing somehow, I don't know how I got on this, uh, things you should never say. I, I don't know how many we're up to. I know one of them is, I would never do this. Got that one. Uh, everything in moderation. I think we talked about that one. One thing that I think is maybe not never say is like, it's the principle of the thing. That one, that one seems to slip out pretty quick. But, you know, maybe your principle of the thing is wrong. But here's another one. My God would never... I think... <laughs> you've got to be very careful about saying, My God would never. Because um, we can see what God has done. But often that just means, I don't like what He does. The Bible and God contradict us because it's a, we have a relationship with it, with them. And any relationship changes you. And the deeper the relationship you have with whatever it is, it changes you all the more. That's how relationships work. Now some people think that the Bible is a morality book filled with rules, painstakingly rigid. This is the, the moral approach. Older brother loves this, not a lot of grace in there. And then, and then we do also have the, the Thomas Kincaid Precious Moments version of the Bible, which is really just a, a really nice children's Bible, Jesus Storybook Bible, which is awesome. I love it. But there's some stuff left out of that too, right? Um, so, it, so the questions are, is the Word of God inside of us? Are we seeking more of it? 
I would posit to you that that is the main way the Holy Spirit works is through Bible. So the more you hear and know and learn and chew and meditate on, the more words He has for you. The, the less, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the less the Holy Spirit can really speak with you because He speaks through Bible. Let's be a people of the book. Let's listen, read, study, discuss, memorize. I mean, after all, we do that with stock prices, sports page, fashion, houses, food. We all have some authority in our lives, many authorities and guides and go-tos. We need the Bible. It's the word of truth implanted in us. If, if you want a good place to start, I would suggest... Um, the book of John, and I would do three things. I would read a chapter at a time or even just a, a part of a chapter, the section, a break, and I would ask, what does this tell me about Jesus? What does this say about me? And then what questions do I have that, that I don't know the answer to these? A lot of times it's very good to be humble about the Bible that we don't know everything, and we start writing down questions and, and looking up. And John is full of things that should bring out questions because there's a lot of Old Testament stuff in there. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about me? And what questions do I have? That would be a great place to start. I love this story about this man who was in prison. And uh, someone gave him a, a Bible. It was the New Testament. And he every day would read one page of Scripture and then wrap a cigarette up, make a cigarette out of that paper. I don't know if you know this, but Bible pages make good cigarette wrappers. And uh, so he did that, you know, and he's like, okay, I'm just going to, i got time. And by the time he got to the book of John, he was converted. It's a pretty unique way to do it. <laughs> but I like it. Maybe we should start there. Start smoking. Kids, don't smoke. Do we stand on the Bible? Really, do we stand under the Bible humbly? And then the next thing James has for us in this passage is, what do you stand against? This is where he talks about anger. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What makes you angry? Thinking this week about really the last family meeting we had when my kids were small enough for family meetings. Um... One day I realized that I, in my sock drawer, had 13 single socks that didn't have pairs. And so I called everyone up to the bedroom for a family meeting, and I had the 13 socks on the bed. I said, this is very serious. The match of these socks are in this house somewhere. I know they're not everywhere. Go find them. I'm very angry about this. <laughs> it was mostly funny. I really wasn't that angry, but um, I was frustrated. 
Okay, so probably that's not it. Unmatched socks, low level. I've talked about traffic way too much. I get angry about typos. I create them myself. I get angry when technology doesn't work, but, but really more when I feel ashamed, irresponsible, inadequate, disrespected, or when other people are that I care about. God, through James, tells us to put that away and receive with meekness so we can flourish and order and desire Him. And so I think it's good for us to, to definitely grapple with if we get into our heart in the deepest places we find anger. Now we find love and other things too, but there's, there's anger in there and God wants to transform us so that we can be saved once and for all in justification, but also continually saved from ourselves, from our rampant wickedness and filthiness. Because anger is an energy directed to defend something. And, I mean, that's not all bad. God got angry. Jesus got angry. So not all anger is bad. Bad anger is sin. It's, it's a cancer. And this, this cancerous anger, most of the time, you find when it's super quick. Do not be quick to anger. It just comes up. It flares up. It, 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 it's a temper with a sharp word or action. The slower anger now can, can be, a, it just continues to, to build. But a lot of times, like, I'm continually angry about this state of affairs or this uh, situation that I keep seeing. A, a cancerous anger leads to reg regrettable actions. A good anger leads to good actions, okay? And I think anger is often signals pride. I know better how things should go. Or, or I need to defend myself or my image or my whatever. Often, anger denies our own sinfulness or our own failures or our own need of help. Like, it's not my fault that this is happening. And so we defend ourselves and deflect ourselves. We become prickly and bitter and irritable. A lot less teachable and hum humble. Let me give you three examples of my own life. Um, I've told you that I often cry, which you might put two and two together and say I'm an emotional person. And, um, of course, that's not always amazing. I often have to ask for forgiveness because I talk a lot, too, right? And so those, those things are conflictual often. And I, I definitely remember when I was in high school and I played basketball, my coaches would say, play emotionless. <laughs> and, like, they really meant it. So I worked on that 
And that wasn't easy, but I could at least act like I was playing emotionless, right? Which made me furious, which then again, like, it's this whole big circle. Now, in the same thing, you know, so let's see, imagine I'm 15 to 18. I got married when I was 25 and was in this campus ministry. And so I feel like I got taught also, you can never be angry at your spouse. My, Julie and I were both definitely taught that. You cannot be angry at your spouse. And from that other, you know, like playing basketball and, and now being married, I, I ingested that. Well, guess what? Uh, you can act like you're not angry at your spouse. A lot of times that looks like not talking to your spouse for a week. Guess what? Surprise. That doesn't really solve the problem. So here I am finally, you know, after a week, uh, and I'm, I'm not that far, I'm not really exaggerating that much. Sometimes two, three days, and she's like, oh, I noticed you're not talking to me, which she didn't maybe want to talk to me. Are you angry? No, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> huh. So in other words, anger can come out as outbursts and awkward just get sunk down, right? Um... And so we really had to work on coming to each other and saying, I'm angry with you. And like, there's nothing in my person that wanted to say that out loud. And, um, but to admit that that emotion was there, which she could see and tell, and, and to hear it from her, like, I'm angry at you. It's like, whoa, you can't, we're not angry at each other. Stop telling me that. And then, you know, you say like, I'm frustrated with you. Okay, that's angry. We just, code, we just code word everything, you know, like. All right. Just this week, I had a friend ask me, who's also in ministry, when I knew I needed to resign at City Press. And so I told her, you know, some of the situational things, you know, what you've, what you've heard about. And, but I said, um, two things were happening one of them was, I don't know when this started, but I started counting steps, like two places or up and down steps. And I just want to point out here that that is a body thing. It's not just a mind thing because our minds are in our bodies, right? And so that was something I hadn't done before. And so when something like that goes on, you should notice that, that there's something different. And, and it doesn't mean it's all bad, it doesn't have to be, but that's a signal that there's some disassociation or management or coping mechanism that maybe you don't even get. So I said that, and then um, I said I was just so angry all the time. Way more than the normal. And I don't want to be angry. It's different than... I don't want to act angry. I don't want to be. Anger is an interesting thing. Instead of saying, I'm a loved failure, what am I defending here? Is it good to be defending that thing? And so when, when you feel anger, notice it. Sort of Let's tell you, when you disassociate, I'm saying like, think of yourself like in a movie and watch yourself and, and think about what is it? Not, not like, did I overreact? Yes, you did. Okay, 
Now, why? What's going on in my heart, in my soul, in my, in my being? And, and, and when you fail, repent of your proud hearts or, or your actual anger or your attitude or your posture or your outlook. We all sin, but a proud heart is 100% right all the time. A, a proud heart, everything is black and white, at least in the issue you're proud about. A, a proud heart has all major and no minor issues. Like, you, you put on equal status the deity of, deity of Jesus and cloth diapers. Like, these are the same. We've got we to gotta be on the same page on these two things. The, the, the atonement and, and how long skirts can be. A proud heart, angry heart argues and isn't teachable, enjoys confronting or never confronts. But a humble heart speaks the truth in love. A humble heart says, I want to trust God because he knows best. I have a humble confidence that he is sovereign and good. Proud heart says, God, you screwed up. And so I would suggest this also thought experiment. What if we were angry about stuff God's angry about? Or what if we were angry? I looked this up in the state of Maryland. There are 4,500 kids in foster care available for adoption. What if we were angry about that? Pornography or joblessness or addiction or, or churchlessness. What has God angry about in our own lives, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our world? And how do we inspect and direct and transform our emotions? But one more thing. If you are happy-go-lucky, get angry sometimes. Come on. There's stuff to be angry about. The stuff God's angry about, right? Get involved in the real life, in the broken world. Jesus came and he saw and he cared and he helped. If we walk with Jesus, we should see, care, and help. If you're too angry, chill out, relax, trust God. Give up. Repent. Let him handle it. And so here in this last point, standing is this being-doing mix. Uh, he talks about in verse 22, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets who he was. And so the point is, be doers and not only hearers. You know, in, in the ancient world in this time, especially the, the mirrors were polished metal, so they weren't like this. By the way, I don't like this mirror in the back. I'm the only one who can see myself. If you had a mirror here, it would be, I feel like we'd be on the same page, but then it would just be a million of us. And the other thing about this mirror is it's cut down the middle, so I'm like in two weird halves. But, uh, so, so, they, so it wasn't a perfect mirror like these, uh, but they worked. But when you walk away, you forget what you look like and you don't see yourself 
accurately. So you're not living in reality. But the gospel says, when we look in the gospel mirror of the word, we remember who we really are. And, and who you really are, deceitful, wicked, unfaithful people. And at the same time, loved and accepted and cherished and forgiven and known because Jesus Christ came into this world and saved your soul. Now, if you can remember that and hold on to it and look into that mirror all the time, it's, it's, it changes you. But when you forget and you stop looking at it, you cause damage. When you forget that you're loved and you think you're unloved, when you forget you're known and you think you're unknown, you can damage your spouse, kids, neighborhood, church. We see the, the gospel implanted in our hearts, the word implanted in our hearts, the doctrine and the practice come together. How I think and how I act are that integrated self. We have practical doctrine and, and doctrinal practice. And that says we'll be blessed. It gives us freedom. His example is really, because he's talking about the law of liberty, is when, when God brought his people out of Egypt with the Exodus, what did he give them next? The law. This is how you should live. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, and then you'll be careful to do everything written in it. This is how you see freedom. So Christianity shouldn't be a worthless all-talk religion. We have stuff to do. I'm talking about being so much, but we also have stuff to do, to serve, to give, to care, to call, to invite, to love, to pray for, support, to encourage like orphans and widows, which he'll talk about. You know, we are known, we are, they know we are Christians by our doctrine? No, not really. Our protests? No. That love is rooted deep in our souls. We serve because we were served. The Son of Man came to seek and serve that which was lost. So we're on mission together, right? Loved, forgiven, adopted, cherished, desired, and that sets us free because Jesus is the way. He's not just a way or showing us a way. He is the way. Jesus is the truth. He's just not like a part of truth, not just showing us truth or modeling truth. He is the truth. He is the life. And so you, you can't just put on the Christian jersey. Be in you. Come out of you. Yeah, however imperfectly. Where do we draw our strength, our security, our wisdom, our confidence, our assurance, our identity? The word of truth? Or societal norms? Hopefully from the word of truth. <laughs> Jesus ready stands to save us. Right? He's done the work. So we can go out with confidence humility, clinging to the crucified, worshiping 
not what we do, but who we are, but, but it's also so what we do, connected to who we are. So we can adopt, give, start, retool, plant, build, change, move in, mentor, participate in, push back darkness, laugh, cry, weep, rejoice. Um... I don't think this is as much true anymore. Remember when Christian t-shirts was a real big thing? Was this the 80s? I just feel like if you didn't grow up in the 80s, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it was all like, what was it, God's gym? And every single, every single thing anyone ever said, someone flipped and made it Christianized. It was, I thought, very annoying. Um... When I was at seminary, I, I ministered at this Christian college, and I may have told you this. One of the kids I was discipling only had Christian t-shirts. He had no shirt, owned nothing on his top half that wasn't witnessing. Witness wear is what they called it, right? Witness wear. Like, dude, stop. We all have a similar approach often, don't we? We're not, it's what's on the inside. It's the word of truth. It's the word of truth. In you. In me. Amen. Jesus loves even angry people. Even ones who don't read the Bible. That's not how you become a Christian. The word of truth comes out of you. Gets implanted in you. Amen.